Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director, Jack Rossiter-Munley. And very quickly before we get into today's episode, this is a reminder that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. Just recently, Cardboard Box Productions launched a newsletter, Unboxed, that has behind-the-scenes information about all the different podcasts they produce, including Poetry Spoken Here, so that's a great place to find out more about the different guests and books and topics that are covered on Poetry Spoken Here, uh, as well as things that are covered on all the other podcasts. And you can subscribe to Unboxed by going to CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. We continue with our special project, the Open Mic of the Air. If you've been missing open mics live where you live, due to the worldwide pandemic we still suffer with, this is an opportunity to share your work and hear voices from around the world. If you want to submit, you can send a recording, five minutes or less, to openmicoftheair at gmail.com. You'll find full submission guidelines on our website, poetryspokenhere.com. Now, before we start, let me say what I say if we were together in a room physically. You can rant, you can chant, you can shout, get it out, get it down, get it off, off your chest, off the page. Share your mission, share your glory, share your vision, tell your story. Take a moment in the sun. The mic is open. And our first person taking the mic from San Francisco, California, Zach Rogo, author, editor, translator of more than 20 books and plays. His play, Colette Uncensored, had its first stage reading at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., and also ran in London. San Francisco, and Portland. He is a contributing editor of Catamaran Literary Reader. His website is zachrogo.com. This is Zach Rogo from San Francisco, California in the USA. I'm going to read a poem about a favorite artist of mine. It's called For Chaim Soutine, 1893 to 1943. On a good day, one chicken wing, a beet, and some gruel. His father, a tailor, supported 11 children by patching worn shmatas. The 10th born was Chaim. Smilovici, the Belarus shtetl where he grew up, a blank space on most maps. Only seven years old, Chaim stole his mamala's one good knife to buy colored crayons two days locked in the colorless cellar to pay for the crime. Lacking paper, he drew on houses and walls, sketched the local rabbi, whose son thrashed him. Don't make graven images. When finally, at 20, Soutine arrived at the Gare de l'Est in Paris, before looking for a room, he took his leaky suitcase straight to the Musée du Louvre, the museum became his mentor. His studio at La Ruche 
the hive. Soutine down carafes of cheap roan with Chagall and the other artists of the Jewish Montparnasse. Modigliani dubbed him the greatest painter of the 20th century. Soutine fidgeted across rural paysages, one of the few artists as gifted at landscapes as portraits, his brushwork of trees almost hallucinatory with motion. He used to buy back his old canvases from galleries and slash them to strips to punish his former mistakes. The eyes he painted, alive with stories, a childlike businessman, choir boys praying for temptation, the sweet twisted whimsy of the woman in red. When all he had left was a herring, he painted a herring. A collector once offered him a thousand francs for a landscape he'd never seen. Soutine flung the bills to the gutter. Chaim eluded the Gestapo, only to die of a punctured intestine. And now, of course, his work in every MoMA. What kind of life is this, where there's almost never justice for artists until they became nothing but a tombstone? Still, I'd like to propose a toast. L'chaim, to Chaim, to life. Our next reader is our first poet from the Czech Republic. She has a podcast called Poets Unplugged, which has put out over a hundred episodes. That's poetsunplugged.com. And she's got a poetry advent calendar. If you go to that website, you can find out about it. It provides a poem a day leading up to Christmas. And this is Sophia Behal. Dear ladies and gentlemen, this is The Survivor, taken out of hashtag Wuhan. The book is available under bit.ly slash Wuhan Poetry, all lowercase. Enjoy the poem. The Survivor, all in white I am, freaked out I am, facing illness, and with possible lethal end. Doctors shake heads, mothers cry, dads hold hands, but we can't touch as in a big rush. I'm isolated and such. Quarantine. They say it's so safe to the others. I say rather safe, the others good, and I stay. Two weeks go by, and I, all in white, a bit sick I was, but I survived. Written by Sophia Behar. Staying international, our next reader is from India, Tanvi Gaurav Srivastava. This is Tanvi Gaurav Srivastava from India, and I'm going to recite my poem, Mask. Worn mask beyond their selves, piled up in my old bookshelf. Masks of love's lost, of our ancient saddest thoughts, of blood mud and of crude, of many mysteries of brutal roots, of kings, queens, arms, and those rustic fragile. 
some horrifying offsprings of aquatic reptiles. Masks of untouched lust. Witnesses my many fingertips on thick and gloomy layered dust. Now fed up with romping sentiments, I have written my own mask. No heavy words, do drips of my happy conscience. O oh, old, imposed and unsettled mask, listen, I nibble, then tone you apart and stitch up my natural task. Thank you. Now to the east coast of the U.S., Gabriella Brand. Her poetry, short stories, and essays have appeared in over 50 publications, and she is a Pushcart Prize nominee. As I mentioned, she lives near New Haven, Connecticut. Hello, my name is Gabriella Brand. The poem I'm going to read today is called Socks. It appeared in the wonderful Gyroscope Review. I think it came out maybe two years ago, but I somehow find that it's it gives me comfort right now during the time that we're living through. So maybe it will give you comfort too. Socks, then and now. We're drinking the water that used to be sky. We're standing on ground that used to be sea. The turning is constant. It's all on the wheel. See these socks, the handmade ones with the stripes? Do you know where they came from? Before the skeins of wool, before the sheep was sheared. Why, they were stars, of course, and storms and blades of grass like tongues. They were buzzing clover and sucklings of milk. We should never cease to marvel at our socks or anything else. Honeycombs, for instance. I tell you this because I am old. When I was young, I didn't understand about comings and goings. Back then, if a seam scratched, if the sock sagged, I'd snarl and sulk, even as the aunties would knit me a new pair. But now I smile, because it all seems so clear. I'm breathing the dust that used to be rock. I'm eating the bread that used to be dirt. And I'm pulling up socks that used to be galaxies. You can try to look for separation between yourself and the rain, but you will not find it. Now that I am ancient, I expect my socks to rub and gape and finally unravel. We're drinking the water that used to be sky. Thank you so much. Next, we have Serenity Neighbor. She's an undergrad at California State University, Stanislaus. Picking up her degree, she hopes, this spring 2021. She's currently working on a flash fiction novel, Demonic Seal, which contains short chapters that together create an overall tale of a fictitious world full of intrigue. That's what she says. I love it. So glad to have you with us, Serenity. My name is Serenity Neighbor from Modesto, California. Poem is called Life of Scars. You see these scars I have on me. That is from what life has done to me. You see this hole inside my chest. That is where my heart used to rest. It's shattered into a million pieces. 
a puzzle that cannot be won, and missing piece forever gone. You see these two long scars on my back? That is where my wings used to be attached. They were ripped from me. I cannot fly, I cannot soar, I cannot cry without a heart. All these scars remind me that life is hard. I can lose my wings, I can lose my heart. All that tells me is life is hard. Jumping back to the east coast of the U.S., Christine O. Adler from Westchester County, New York, is a writer and editor. She has a chapbook called Undressing the Heart. She is editor and managing editor of Inkwell, and her work has appeared in many literary publications throughout the Northeast U.S. and Canada. She has a blog, christineoadler.wordpress.com. And she is currently working on a novel. My name is Christine Adler, and I'm from Westchester County, New York. My poem is called Unearthed for Sarah. As a girl, you used to paint low on the walls in corners of your room, tiny trees and flowers undetected. Soon boarding school called. I was left to rearrange the furniture, unearth your garden. We spoke later. You laughed at the standoffs that sparked those small rebellions. Such colorful pictures defiantly raised your young psyche. Yet you haven't outgrown the consolation of such things. Now 18, home from school, I hear you slip nights into the bathroom, the one I can't bear to enter for the mess, and crouch on the floor in the corner. Now, instead of producing, you peel the paper. Flowers fall off in little strips, leaving beneath bare blue walls. I knew my body would betray me as I aged. Yet death is not the midlife crisis I'd expected. But what I'm most sorry for is what my illness does to us. Strips me by layers of physical strength. Peels you slowly in little emotional strips until all that's left is bare and blue. Yet you are the unlucky one. Soon my turn will come to go, but you will remain and be forced to rearrange, unable to speak with me about things you may happen to suddenly unearth. Back out west of the U.S., Provo, Utah, Elizabeth Summerhalder. You know, this kind of uh, the pandemic time, people spending more time at home, more isolated from others leads to introspection. And that's what you will find her poem is all about. She hosts the Speak for Yourself open mic out there in Provo, which now happens as a Zoom event. So Speak for Yourself open mic has a Facebook page if you would like to, uh, maybe you'd like to join them and contribute a poem or just listen to that open mic. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Summerhalder. I'm from Utah, and this poem is called Forgiveness. 
I will never be forgiven for the ways I have treated myself. Treated like a stranger, a villain, treated myself like perhaps I am less than the last stranger I passed on the street. Like their life must be better than mine, funnier, prettier, smarter, maybe that person is someone who wakes up in the morning and does more than roll out of bed, drink coffee, and take four hours to get dressed. I have treated myself like a stranger and forgotten who I am. How are you supposed to treat someone you don't know? A stranger in the window of a coffee shop. A stranger in a passing car. A stranger walking on the street. A stranger in your bed every night. How do I not know myself when I take every breath inside my own head? A stranger in my bed. A stranger in my head. Treat that stranger like someone you love. I have treated her with indifference at best and loathing at worst. The stranger in my skin makes me tea on cold mornings. She cooks my dinner and tucks me in. She dries my tears and tells me that maybe things will get better in the morning. When things aren't better in the morning, she takes me to buy a milkshake or breakfast or maybe a shirt. The stranger in my skin screams with me in the night in a park up the canyon, and when the wind rises and falls and whips my hair into a frenzy, I breathe with her. And she breathes with me. And for a moment, I am forgiven. Moving down south to Austin, Texas, M. L. Waldman, and uh, in his note, along with the poem, he said he represents the Austin Poetry Union which is a poetry collective down there in Austin, Texas. Hello, I am M.L. Waldman. I'm from the Austin Poets Union, and this is Everything is a Library. I'm in the third grade, and everything is a library. Mrs. Griswold is a haggard old piece of gristle, and she hates everything. I'm reading about dinosaurs and Greek mythology. It is summer, and I am in school as part of some educational experiment. The dinosaurs, they speak to me. They say, I too was unwanted in this world, but look how glorious I was. Greek mythology, she speaks to me. She says, here is something too magnificent to be believed. Here is something holy fallen into disrepair. And Mrs. Griswold can only scowl in reproach as I indulge wonders she long ago denied. And moving a little farther west to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mariam Sagan has written over 30 books of poetry, fiction, and memoir. Interesting. She has some interesting things here. Her poetry has been set to music for the Santa Fe Women's Chorus, incised on stoneware for a haiku pathway, and this is great, projected as a video inside an abandoned grave silo in rural Itsoshima, Japan. That's Miriam Sagan. Hi, I'm Miriam Sagan. I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I want to read a poem to you at Poetry Spoken Here. Basically, the poem comes from uh, my book called Stargazing, which is poems of astronomy. And I wrote a poem about each planet, trying to personalize the archetypes. Pluto. Ambivalence. We almost got hit last night on the road behind the dam when another car came out of nowhere. Or 
it's good I hadn't pulled into the lane when the driver took the turn too fast, or luck saved me, or a guardian angel. So I could arrive on time, go to the party with people, not really my friends, or you've been dead almost 25 years, and I hear a phone ringing in a casita without a phone. The music of the spheres dazzles over the rented house. Mathematics implies a planet. The astronomer finds it only smaller than imagined. America wants to discover its own celestial body, and suddenly there's Pluto over Flagstaff, Arizona. Things come and go, grief, amusement, and the planet Pluto. I've changed my mind and everything and nothing. Patterns arranged to receive and delight me and all those other half-born worlds. Thank you. And finally, we wrap it up in the middle of the U.S., Chicago, Illinois, with Trisha Park. She not only writes, but is also a concert violinist who began her career at age 13. Her podcast is called, Is It Recess Yet? Confessions of a Child Prodigy. She's a graduate of Juilliard and the MFA program at the Art Institute of Chicago and is now on the faculty at the University of Chicago. And you can learn more about her on our website, isitrecessyet.com. My name is Trisha Park. I'm a concert violinist, writer, educator, and podcaster from Chicago, Illinois. This piece is called Korean Love, the Untranslatable Concept of Jung, and it's about why, for many Koreans, I love you doesn't always mean having to say the words out loud. Once in the long ago, I helped my grandmother wash her hands. Our hands entwined under the warm water. I remembered when she used to wash mine. Her hands are so frail now, very soft and fragile. She beams up at me and I have to lean down to smile widely bringing my face very close to hers, swallowing my tears. She sighs, gazing up at me through wide-open eyes that no longer really see. Oh, our granddaughter, so beautiful, she says to me. How is it that you never change, my lovely granddaughter? There's this Korean word, chong. There's no direct translation into English, but the closest translation is Affection, closeness, attachment, loyalty. None of these words are exactly right, but it's like if you rolled all of them into one, buried them deep into the ground, watered and tended to them, and then they sprouted into the most magnificent, gigantic tree of deep, unspoken love that is nonverbal, but demonstrated. Not through the cheap Hollywood American gestures of the hug or the kiss or the inadequate words, I love you. Chung, this is the generosity of the old women at the street market who ply you with food because you remind them of their grandchildren and they delight in the fact that you speak Korean because, well, their grandchildren don't understand anything they say and they watch you carefully as you eat and they stuff your bags over full of oranges or dried fish or soft red bean cakes. Chung is the parent who pays for your college education, all of it, no questions asked, even if it means working overtime and relentless self-sacrifice and going without. 
Chang is a full refrigerator, clean laundry, new sheets on your bed, even though you are a grown woman. Thank you, Amma, I say, and she says, What thank you? You don't ever need to thank me. Everything I have is yours, and the words that fall from my mouth are endlessly inadequate. Through a white American lens, a Korean mother's love can seem withholding, stingy, absent. But through a different lens, a Korean mother's love is profound and bottomless, and words are not only insufficient, but almost a perversion, ill-fitting and embarrassing. Because my mother loves me in a way that cannot be trivialized with words or minimized through theatrical gesture and cheapened by love songs and Hollywood rom-coms and the bullshit of the pervasive American falsehood. This is what love should look like, the American movies and TV and songs tell us. But that's not the only way love looks. Once, in the long ago, I went to the market with my mother. We wandered the rows of technicolor produce, apples, dragon fruit, ginger, dandelion leaves, steam rising from sample tables of fish cakes, barbecued beef, scallion pancakes, Try these noodles, Sonnim, the woman in uniform calls out in sing-song Korean. So easy to make and on sale today. Three dollars off. My mother passes a small plastic cup to me before picking one up for herself. It's a little hot, she warns. Blow on it first. And initially, I feel a rise of resentment. I want to tell her, I'm not a baby, as I stomp my foot. Is it too spicy for you? She asks, watching me carefully as she chews. No, I say, until the spice blooms on my tongue and, oh, yeah, a little. I wave a hand in front of my mouth. Yes, it's spicy, isn't it? She says, taking the plastic cup for me to throw it away with hers. She hands me a napkin, and through the napkin I feel her hand linger, grasping my fingers. I haven't held my mother's hand in probably 35 years. They are smaller than mine now, and her skin feels thin, the bones fragile. I wait for her to let go, but she doesn't. That's going to do it for our ninth open mic of the air. Here's a reminder, we're always looking for submissions. Send a recording five minutes or less of yourself reading your work. Be sure you also tell us your name and where you are. Recordings can be sent to openmicoftheair at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com, for full submission guidelines. And I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been the ninth Open Mic of the Air from Poetry Spoken Here. Be sure to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Munley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. 
If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>